This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Muck Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Muck Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with Muck Delivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get reward points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. From Flint to Philadelphia, from Hollywell to Hollywood. Rob Ryan Red is a brand new Wrexham AFC fans podcast by Nathan Salt and Richard Fay. Now, maybe you're well versed in Wrexham history, or maybe you're new here, so here's a few things to jog your memory. Here is Vose. Great dribble by Don Vose, and still Vose, he gets past another! Oh, what a goal! Don Vose! One of the goals of the season! He has toyed with the defence there, and that is remarkable. The Bull Boys getting involved. Jennings, the captain, Wrexham's top goal scorer, 13 for the season, 14, Wrexham lead, it's Wrexham 1, Chester now, it's McDonough for Wrexham, still Jerry McDonough, it's Matt Carolyn, McDonough around the keeper, Wrexham, lead to the lead leaders, if yesterday was a black Friday, but today is a red Saturday. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rob Ryan Red, the Wrexham AFC podcast. I'm Rich Fay. I'm joined once again by Nathan Salt and we've got a special guest this week and we've had some tricky special guests to get hold of. We had, of course, Nathan Salt phoning Jocelyn Miebe, which involved a phone call to Cameroon, but this time a bit easier. We've got uh, Sean Pedgick. How are you doing, Sean? Over there in Vancouver. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, noon or lunchtime for me right now, and I think it's late for you right now. It's like eight o'clock at night, is it for you? So yeah, it was it was a bit tricky, but we, we, we made it, it worth it. Yeah, we managed to make it work, and let's hope it's a a good podcast for you to enjoy. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you're new around here. But we're going to get into this one first of all. And Sean, I guess it's an exciting time. The Wrexham and Canada links at the moment are as strong as they've ever been. And for yourself, you're someone who's made sort of the reversal of the trip. You know, you're someone who started in Wales and now, now you're out there. So if we go back to the start of your career, you joined Wrexham as a teenager. You came through the Youth Academy. How about how did it come about that you actually got sort of spotted by Wrexham? Because you grew up in Hereford, didn't you? And then That's right. Wrexham is, no offence to Hereford United, but the biggest sort of local team to you maybe. <laughs> uh, certainly at the time as well. The last few years, I think there's kind of, as, as we'd like to say. But uh, how did it come about actually getting spotted by Wrexham? Yeah, like you said, I was born in Hereford. My old man, Mel, was obviously played for Hereford. So I was born in Hereford, which makes sense. And then he moved from Hereford to, to sign for Wrexham, my, my, my dad. And then I think I was 
at the time 12 or 13 years old when when as a family we moved from Hereford to to Chester we moved into Chester actually um the so yeah, word already I know I'm sorry I shouldn't have said that but uh yeah around the border I was like yeah I, I, I'm gonna lie no yeah. I was I was in Chester but <laughs> um but yeah so I went to school in in that area and um obviously played played football for the school and like local teams and yeah I think one couple of times there was some I guess there was some scouts out and about looking uh, at a couple of players in the team I played for and then yeah I got asked to come train with the uh the youth or whatever group it was I think it was the under 13s or 14s at Wrexham at the time so yeah I just came over played played some games and that was that was the the start of something special. Uh, we, yeah, something I think special, for sure. So, the, the fans listening this week will certainly as well have fond memories of. And I guess there is that interesting, you know, family connection, like like you mentioned there. H- how old maybe were you when you realised that Wrexham were a bit different as a club? You know, obviously being a Welsh team in the football league at the time, anyway, gave us that bit of extra identity. The fans, I know it's almost cliche, but there's a real connection between the supporters and the players and that community aspect when did it sort of dawn on you that you know you were you had the chance of maybe breaking through a, a big team typical one to, to explain but like you said the Wrexham fans are, are, are very hands-on and very communicative and they want to be involved in everything that's happening with the club and the team and, and you get to feel that as a player too even when I was younger as my dad was there so I was sitting in the in the stadium obviously watching my dad play as well when I was really young so you get to feel the atmosphere and, and the fans obviously passionate and involved in what's happening on the pitch so but yeah but when I started playing myself if you go forward a few more years you start talking to some some fans people reach out to you you see them walking around the, the shops and you're chatting about it all the time so yeah it's, it's clear that, that all of the fans are super passionate about about their club and their team which is great as a player as well you want to play for those fans right you want to make them proud and you want to do the do the best you can on the pitch for them so it yeah it was it was a good good part of part of my journey at least yeah, it is that sort of stereotypical 12th man, isn't it, that really does yeah. feed into it. So made your debut, it was 2001, I believe, you, you made your senior debut for Rex. So you might be able to yeah, go back in your memory now, it's 20 years ago. And I know it only yeah. seems like it was the other day. And 20 years ago, so you make your debut for Wrexham. What was it like putting that red shirt on for the time? What was it like actually for you, not just playing for Wrexham, but that moment when you've realised you've, you've sort of made it? Because that's what the childhood dream is, isn't it? I mean... You can dream as high up you want to go to the tiers, but primarily everyone has that same aspiration of being paid, played to play football. I think my, I remember correctly, my first game, I can't remember, I was 16 or 17, skinny little little kid, little spots. I was like such a little nervous little guy. I, I think it was away at Port Vale away, I believe. I played, started my first game at that, that age and I was a nervous wreck, to be honest with you, playing in front of Port Vale away. Obviously their fans are quite vocal too. Um, yeah. One of our sort of traditional rivalries as well, wasn't it? And particularly at the time, yeah. it's quite fierce for for a debut. Of course, yeah, it was a big one to jump into. And we, uh, I try to remember who my centre back partner was. I think it was McGregor. I think it was was the centre back at the time. Um, and we had a, quite some big personalities, some big, some senior players on the Wrexham team back then. So it was obviously great having them around me and like give me the confidence and just put a kind of shot an arm around my shoulder and give me that kind of edge. Um, it helped, but yeah, to be honest, I remember being a nervous wreck for that first game. But um, but yeah, I think after that though, when I my first game was obviously, I think I came on as a sub at some point for at, at the race course ground when I was maybe um, I think it was a following season if I remember correctly. But but yeah, playing for the first time in front of obviously the home fans was was a big big difference to that. I felt good, I felt confident, I felt like everyone was like kind of rallying behind the team and, and me as well as the youngster coming through. So. 
yeah, that was obviously something I remember um, a lot of. In terms of the managers, of course, you were coming through just at the back end of Brian Flynn. You know, he, he left in 2000, September 2001. Jerry Jones took over for a week or so, and then you had Dan Smith come in. What yeah. were they like in terms of personalities as, as, as treating you as a youngster as well? Obviously, you're coming in, you're raw, but what type of advice were they giving you? Yeah, Brian Flynn, I was obviously... I was like, it was like a year or two when I was coming through and Brian Flynn was there and then he left. So, but I remember coming through the youth system, Brian Flynn was very much on the youth side of things. He wanted to bring through the local, like all the, the Welsh youth of the, the system, which, which I remember sitting down with him. There was a group of when I was like 13, 14, he'd sat down with us. He spent a lot of time with these young guys coming through. And um, yeah, he was making us aware that like, this, this group of players, like only one or two or you make it. He was like making, he was like putting little sort of things in every now and again, like just to tease us and to try and say like, it could be you if you work hard essentially. So um, I remember sitting down with him with a group of guys and that little speech he had with us for me stuck with me. And I was like, Oh crap, I hope this like group of 10 people I'm sitting with, like there could be one or two people that make it and the rest might not make it. Like that hit home for me. And it made me realize I've got to do a little bit more. I've got to like push harder. I've got to try and stand out from this crowd of people. So like, I know Brian Flynn was big on the the youth side of things. And I think he, I don't know the numbers, but he probably brought through quite a lot of young, uh, young local lads um, when he's in rain, which was, which is great for the club and obviously for, for Wales as well. So, and then, um, yeah, Dennis Smith, I was, I think I was already like kind of a signed as a, a professional at that point when he came in. Um, but he was, I think he, the way he saw me, I think he saw, because he was played center back too. And like, he was, he was like rough and big center back and he just got the job done and was very aggressive defender. And I think, um, don't know, quote him here, but I think he saw a bit of that in me when my yeah. style, I was obviously a defender. I just got stuff done. I wasn't, no frills. I didn't really do any fancy stuff. I was like the guy that just cleaned up all the dirty work. So um, yeah, I felt like we had a good, kind of similar kind of mindset there so that worked out for me obviously so yeah yeah it's ideal sort of mentor isn't it and I think as well speaking of ourselves as Ericsson fans that's what you want you want someone who's a local lad to come through the youth ranks and to have that impact and it's not always you see that at centre-back because very few managers have that trust in youngsters to to play you know cut their teeth in, in matches that are so important towards the the lower end of the league um, you mentioned there the, the youth team you came through and this might make you feel a bit old as well but I was seven years old when that was happening so who, <laughs> so who, who else was in your sort of your your class of 2000 maybe class of 2000 2001 who were the other youngsters that, that were coming through of you at that time oh testing my memory here though i don't remember if there was many that came through with me um like a few names i can adam arkle was a striker ad moody was a center back partner with me can't remember them <laughs> going blank on all the names now but I, there was a couple that signed for like a year for the for the pro like with me but then they didn't really stick around too long unfortunately. yeah yeah i threw so you on the bus there but um, what because what a little bit yeah but it's okay massively <laughs> massively, massively what i want to sort of move on to is because if you ask any football and we've had the privilege to speak to quite a few of our sort of wrecks and heroes doing this podcast everyone who grows up will always think i was in a youth team with someone and how did he not make it how did that not happen do you know what I mean as i'm sure there'll be other people you know who you thought because he was he was good, but he he's a name that we don't know right now. So, what was it that you think that maybe you did have that that really did help you make that breakthrough? Yeah, it's it's such a difficult one to answer, and there's no right or wrong right or wrong kind of answer here. But from my experience, it's timing and playing 
like obviously everyone has good games and bad games um and it's just a swing of sometimes it's sometimes a bit of luck like if i play well and the right person's watching um at that complete time then you might get lucky and get the opportunity but if you have a, a dip and they're watching then then they were like might be like oh this guy's not very good so um i think timing and and trying to maintain the highest level you can uh can consist consistent level is the key but it's so hard to do as, as a youngster because you obviously you're learning you're, you're developing you make mistakes it happens but um but yeah i guess if, if i was trying to give any advice to any youngsters out there I would try and play at the highest level you can consistent consistently um because you never know who's watching like uh, that that would be something that i would take away from it uh i'm just gonna have a sorry Sorry, Rich, I was just going to jump in about, about Flinney because he's such a character that we all, you know, even fans that, younger fans that, that didn't get to meet him or, or didn't really appreciate him in, in, in his pomp. What are your memories of him? He, he's such a character in terms of there's a great story about how he bundled uh, Mickey Thomas into the back of a taxi after the Arsenal game to get in uh, into the match of the day studio. And there's all kind of random stuff like that. I mean, what's your best memory of Flinney? And, and you know, like what kind of experiences did you have personally with him? Yeah, it's, um, I, I mentioned that one earlier about he sat down with this group of youngsters, me included, and really spent time with the young young guys. And I was only there for a, a few years when Fellini was in charge and I was quite young. So I didn't really cross paths with him very much at that that age. So I don't have any big stories of him like throwing me in a taxi or doing some crazy stuff with with me so much. But but yeah, the, the thing that stands, stands up for me is just him spending the time with the youngsters trying to develop us and, and kind of like push us um push us to keep keep improving and and trying to like be the best essentially so i i sorry i don't have any extreme stories to say about Brent Flynn, and, uh, that, that would be my experience uh, from it <laughs> it's one of the one of the things about the you're talking about youth football it's one of the big frustrations now the Wrexham fans have is that we've really cut back on our focus on bringing through young players we see Jordan Davis now wearing the armband in pre-season and you know we're dreaming about the the coid point assassin as we're calling him uh, to, to get the armband and really understand what it means I think of Robbie Evans who you know we're trying to get on the pod another homegrown player you know Leo Smith and, and others how frustrating is it when you look back to think that that kind of production line which has been so successful for us has kind of stopped in a way or, or been drastically reduced which is such a shame yeah, you're right. It is. It is. It's a big shame for especially a club like Wrexham that's got such a passionate fan base, and there's lots of good youth like teams and lo- local football pitches around the area, and, and and it's really shame that that when I was there, the, we had the Colliers Park set up, and all that that system was all in place for all age groups from a really young age to really have that path to potentially get through to the first team, and it was a really good system, and felt like we were in a good environment that was safe and like we could actually perform and have everything we needed to perform on the highest level but I know I've been away from from England from Wales for like 10 plus years so I haven't really been following the latest stuff but I like yeah it is sad knowing that that's kind of lost its touch a little bit especially for Exxon because it's such a big part of these like the lower league teams to really develop these youth players because like it's so hard to bring in people um, outside of, of Wrexham that it really gets the passion of the team, you know, and the fans. So, I, I, yeah, it's a shame to, to see. And I, I hope that can change in the future with, with the future plans. But, um, yeah, yeah that's, I, it is a shame. 
yeah, like I said, we always have that extra bit of maybe we cheer a bit louder when it's someone that you know has come through from the, from the local ranks and someone who's been watching them as a kid as well. And I guess why we want to talk about positives now. And I guess this is something else that does burden us Wrexham fans. You were part of the last Wrexham team to actually get promoted, 0203, finished third then in, in Division Three behind Rushton Diamonds and Hartlepool United, uh, finished above Bournemouth. You know, I mean, they're a team who will be starting their championship campaign this week. They're a team who's been in the Premier League and you know, they're one of the teams we sort of point at and look at and say, that could be us. Maybe one day that will be us. But the promotion season, what are your memories of that? You're still young, you're still coming through, still getting valuable game time. But to be in, in, in that environment. Yeah, it was great. Obviously, football's all about highs and lows. As a player, like you get so many, you probably get less highs than lows, actually, in the grand scheme of things. So you got to enjoy them when they come up. But um, but yeah, that was obviously a big one. I was a young, young guy coming through, played, handful of games maybe a little bit more and we had a really good team back then we had some really good players um that went on to, to even do do more than than rex and like like truns morale and obviously i think ferguson was playing back then as well and um probably like um like carlos edwards for example like hector sam so we had like a strong team back then and some good youth coming through as well like um so yeah just having that that mixture of good height the experienced pros and the, the youth coming together it just kind of merged well together and the, the team kind of worked worked great throughout the whole the whole season with like fresh and experienced heads in in one pitch so yeah it was it was it's always nice when you're playing um in a team that's that's performing well and has that kind of fluidity and we all know where we're going to be what what the plans are how we're going to play the game and that I came across and yeah getting promotion obviously is a, is a massive massive bonus for for that team and for the for, for each of us, yeah, it was really cool. Yeah, and you speak, I mean, you ask anyone really, it's all about the momentum. And you know, once you have that attitude going to matches that you think you're gonna gonna win them. And like you said, one of the key players involved in that was Darren Ferguson. Someone who I don't think gets enough credit for his actual footballing achievements. Obviously, being the son of the greatest manager of all time, you're gonna <laughs> sometimes be overlooked and you're gonna be sort of bookmarked into a different category, but a fantastic player, fantastic leader. Well, we're on the Ferguson links. Do you remember Sir Alex coming to watch many Wrexham games during your time there? Do you remember that ever being sort of a joke aimed at him and stuff that, you know? Yeah, a couple what, actually. Yeah. Sorry, go how, on. Go. I mean, how was he, what was he like to be around, uh, Darren? Obviously, because you've got a dad who's working with elite footballers every single day and, you know, you're probably getting advice via him as well. What was Darren Ferguson like in terms of sort of dressing room figure? Yeah, he's obviously an experienced head on his shoulders and he's been around, he's played at, really high levels um obviously his dad is a big big factor so yeah i think every time he would have input in training or every time he would give you some advice everyone myself included would really listen to him because you trust where this information is coming from obviously so having that sort of figure on in the dressing room and on the pitch was was huge um for for everyone on the team so yeah it was very instrumental to how we played back then he was like in the middle of the pitch couldn't run very quick and he would but when you get the ball to his feet he would he would be able to create stuff and ping balls and create some um some nice stuff so yeah it was very instrumental to having the team back then yeah it was like having sort of like a south american number 10 in the squad just pulling the strings don't make him run at all but he'll uh he'll put on the sixpence if you need him to and we'll probably get to other members of that squad as we go on but i think while we're talking the positives also that you know we're looking ahead now to 2005 LDV Vance Trophy, arguably one of the greatest days in Wrexham's modern history. There'd been so much turmoil off the pitch. You know, there'd be so much uncertainty about what was happening around the club at the time. But LDV Vance Trophy run really gave us all that pride still, despite all the off 
off the field issues that were going on and concerns that, you know, maybe we would lose our club. Um, what was that cup run like? It really sort of galvanised the community, I felt. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it was it was uh, some positive light in a kind of dark room, wasn't it, in a way? It, it was a really tough year with all the finance and stuff, the administration stuff going on. And um, yeah, and then for some reason, we just kept winning games in, in this cup. The LDB vans, we were like, played a game we're like oh we're gonna win it it was really strange how things developed but yeah getting to the final obviously playing uh against south uh, south end it was at millennium stadium right if i'm correct <laughs> yeah um so that was obviously huge for all of us the whole team fans myself included like playing in such a big stadium with the fans there as well it was it was massive a huge bonus and a huge memory that i'll never forget and i think every Wrexham fan will say the same Nathan here, just a quick word for our socials and our email. You can find us on Twitter at RobRyanRed and you can email us RobRyanRed at gmail.com. Now, if you're enjoying this episode, do go back and listen to our catalogue where we've spoken to Jocelyn Maevi in Cameroon. We've spoken to Curtis Obbing about the 98-point season. We've spoken to Adriano Moak about life currently at Spennymore Town and many, many others, including Jordan White and Rob Oakby. So do go back and check out. Now, back to the episode. I remember, was was Carlos Edwards the one that dyed his hair red? And I, I remember Kevin yeah. Russell, there's a story about Kevin Kevin Russell absolutely rinsing him for, for dyeing his hair red. And he, he said, you know, he said in, in kind of in the past about how his agent made him do it. But what are the kind of memories off the pitch that day? Obviously fans, as, as we found, I was only nine or 10 at the time. We saw the game unfold, but what fans are desperate to know is kind of the team talk beforehand, Dennis Smith and the, the build up to the day you're going down at the hotel. It's not your normal kind of away day or definitely not. It's, it's, a, it's a massive final. And, and for some players, it, it might be the only final they get to play in. And there's so many players in that team that I was desperate to find out all the stories about. And, and like Rich said, we've been able to to speak to some of them, but, but what are your experiences of that day? And, and I know you didn't dye your hair red, but I'm sure there was some, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it was obviously huge. Um, trying to think of some, like the, the biggest memory I stood out was, was when we were getting to the stadium before the game. Um, we we're obviously on a bus coming from the hotel to the stadium when it was like a, probably a five minute um, bus ride, but it took like 20 minutes, 30 minutes to get there because like there was all these like Wrexham fans and there's also some Southland fans like crowding the street. So this bus, had to creep through the whole of the fans just to get to the stadium. And it was sitting on the bus, like as a Wrexham player at the time, seeing all these Wrexham shirts, all these fans cheering you on, giving you some support. That that for me was something that was like, oh shit, this is like, this is awesome. Like, this is a really cool experience knowing that all these fans are here and supporting us on this bus as a team. And um, yeah, I actually don't remember seeing any South Hans fans. I was like, just saw red swarms of people. It was, it was, it was amazing. Um, and then, yeah, getting into the stadium, obviously, we walked around the stadium, just experiencing on the pitch, walking around before the before it was even open for the fans. We had to walk around just to check the, the pitch wasn't bobbly or gross, but obviously, it was like a carpet. It was like walking on each piece of grass was exactly the same length all the way across. They so were like, oh, my God, this is perfect. Um, yeah, so then changing rooms as well. It was obviously it was a huge changing room. It had like a little warm-up room in the side, so you could just warm up in the side. Um, we all had our own seats with 
kind of like our name on it to sit down with our jersey, our shirt behind it. Um, so just the whole walking in, seeing all the surroundings, everything set up for you as your team um, was, yeah, it was like amazing. It was really, really, really great experience. Was Dennis quite calm beforehand? Uh, he sometimes manages for a cup fan. You get two approaches. You either get them, you know, pumped up in in kind of roid rage and they just go go mental with their players <laughs> to get you fired up, or or they or you get the, the more experienced heads that that are just very calm and quite tranquil and kind of you've done a lot of the hard work, you deserve to be here. That kind of thing. What what was Dennis like in in that sense? Yeah, he was pretty calm before the before the before the game. Actually, yeah, he was right. Uh, before the games, usually he's quite a calm head, very structured. Like this is what we're going to do. This is the plan. Like everyone um, knows what the plan is before the game. So he was very much the same. Even though it was the cup final, it was obviously a really big game. Um, he was very very focused and very um, level headed, which was which came across, I think, on the players when we started the pitch. So. Um, Obviously, if you did something wrong, if you screwed something up, then he would lose his lose his shit and start like <laughs> swearing and throwing stuff around. But um, but yeah, I remember him being pretty calm, level headed, and saying, like you said, he was just said, um, "This is you've done all the hard work. Just go out there, enjoy it, play your game. You know exactly what you need to do. So just 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 go and have fun and enjoy it." Essentially, and it it was great. Yeah, yeah, it probably wasn't as calm by by full time. Of course, it went Dex Town as well. We had Van Rigarty and Darren Ferguson with the goals to give us the two 0 win. What were the celebrations like? What do you remember of that? I mean, do you remember any of it? Maybe that's a better question in itself, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I came on as a sub. So I was sitting on the bench to start with. I came on, I think, 15 minutes into the game. Um, I remember the warm-up, Steve Roberts was struggling. I think he had some sort of injury. So he, he said to me, like, keep warm. Like, I'm struggling a little bit here. He's going to try it for the first 10, 15 minutes and, and see if it goes. So, yeah, before the game, I was obviously... My mental state was like, all right, I'm playing even though I'm sitting on the bench because I knew there's an opportunity. I might come on if Robbo was struggling. And he, he, yeah, he, he had to come off 15 minutes in and coming onto the pitch at, in 15 minutes into the final with all these fans. Obviously, you're a bit nervous. You're like, oh, shit, what if I don't, I'm not warmed up? I'm not ready. I'm not in the game yet. But managed to get the first pass out of the way. I was like, okay, I got the first one. Successful pass. All right, I'm good now. I'm calm. And, so, and then it started to build on that. But yeah, when we won it, when the, when the, the whistle went. Um, I remember just everyone running on the pitch, actually. And it's quite an emotional moment where I remember my old man because he was on the bench. He was a physio, obviously. So he ran onto the pitch, um, gave me a big hug. Um, I remember seeing a little tear in his eye. <laughs> he gave me a, a big hug and he was obviously super proud of his son, like playing and, and winning this, this cup. So for me, that was something that stuck, stuck with me, just like having that moment with my dad because he obviously played and he understood that these moments don't happen all, all that often. So that was one little, small little snippet. Um, but then obviously the bigger picture of all the players, all the fans just going nuts. And um, yeah, it was just something that's really hard to describe in words, but it, overall it was it was just a magic experience. And of course, sadly that season did end with going down back to, to well, what I think it was still Division 3 at Town League 2, relegation. But it was, you know, that, that bright spark and gave us all some belief during those, those horrible times. Um, what was that sort of like in terms of you? Because you knew as a squad that things hadn't been going well, both on and off the pitch that season. But what did it mean in terms of being able to just sort of give us that one last sort of f- reward and for us all to unite and just put the mess that was going on around us just to one side for one day and just enjoying it as an experience? What, what did that mean to the players? Yeah, it was 
it, like you said, it was a really difficult, dark time with with um, the finances of the club, and um, yeah, there was obviously lots of talks with the owners at the time and administration going around. And I don't remember if it was that year or the following year, but there was times where even us as players, we, we were not getting paid. We were like missing paychecks and stuff. So for from from mentally point of view, having that in the back of your mind is really hard to to maintain playing football and, and enjoying and playing at a high level when you've got all this going on in the back of your mind. So yeah, it was um it was a really weird time to have all that going on. But then on the other side you were in the cup final and you're playing arguably one of the biggest games of your career. So um yeah I think I think for all of the players and probably the fans too just to forget about that for one moment and just really focus on this moment this is obviously a really big moment for the history of the club and um to just enjoy it and forget about all the crap that was going on so I think all the players have the same mindset too it was like okay let's let's we're in this moment let's enjoy it let's have fun and, and try and make something out of it of it and we obviously did in the end which was which was great um yeah yeah I mean, sadly for Exxon fans, it's not the only sort of toxic times we've had sort of supporting the club in in that regard. As a, as a squad, how how aware were you, and and how much did it sort of affect you the turmoil off the pitch in in those those years? Um, yeah, it's um, you try not to. Obviously, you try and just focus on your um, your training and you're playing the games. But it's not going to lie; it does affect you when you when you know that you might not get paid at the end of the month or. You, you think, oh, am I going to pay for my, my bills? Like, it, it does affect you. I think it would affect everyone, no matter what job you're in. So um, I, think, I think it just uh, got to us all after time because it was dragging on, dragging on, dragging on. We weren't sure which way we were going and we were trying to maintain the levels. But after time, I think it just all just either tied us out or we were just mentally, like, just couldn't, couldn't hack it anymore for whatever reason. So, yeah, I think for me it was... It was hard to keep going, knowing that this was lingering around. Um, yeah, it's getting really negative conversation now, but um, yeah, I remember it being a tough time. Tough time. Um, like, but that's football. Like, football has its highs and lows, and this was obviously one of the lows. But there was there was lots of other highs that we that we had too. Yeah, well, you're talking about Rich. Rich talking about. Um, we've we've said it before on the pods about you know players not necessarily getting paid or, or players on one-year deals and worrying about that they're not going to get their money. And I think, you know, we both cover, you cover Manchester United a lot and, and I have to cover all the top teams. I think we get a bit warped by the idea that players are filthy rich at every level, which is just not true. Um, and and we saw Sean Pearson, who's now left the club, our captain, who was do, working for Tesco and doing deliveries for local takeaways and things like that. So, you know, you, you mentioned it there, you know, you're trying not to worry, but it's inevitable, no, that, that um, and, and Dean was, you know, we've had Dean, the story about Dean Saunders giving money to some of the players, Rich. So yeah. we've had multiple examples. And was that something that was the type of thing that you would discuss as players or something you could discuss with the manager or, um, because I've got such great memories of that squad and I try and focus on the positives, but it's, it's inescapable to think that this squad couldn't have been, worried for their family it's the, this the family aspect of it not just am i going to still be playing here next season more that can i afford to pay xyz for my family yeah yeah you're right and it's like i at the time i was single i was living by myself but i had a house had mortgage to pay for bills obviously but some of the other lads like you said had families kids in school and that and um for them it was probably a little bit more difficult than, than me but even for me it was it was tough yeah like you said we don't get paid 
mega money. We, it's obviously decent, decent wages. It, it can't complain. Um, but it's, we're not like rolling in money like the, the Premier League players are. We can't. We don't have money to to, to fling around. Um, so it's tough. It's it's not it's not easy, especially at that at that level when you're kind of counting your your paychecks and you're kind of hoping you can get by, and you've got the pressure of obviously um, trying to. Uh, getting the team there's obviously 11 players on the pitch and if you don't play you're like oh crap like am, am i at risk now so it, it's it's not an easy uh, some people like probably say well you're playing football you're in it's like everyone's dream um which it is I, i'm not gonna deny that it's obviously an awesome career and like i really enjoyed it but it's not an easy one it's difficult to play um for i played for what, just over 10 years as a pro um it's 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 difficult. It's challenging, especially when clubs in administration and finances are not quite there. It's, it's a hard one for sure. Think, thinking of all this nostalgia, there's, a, there's been a lot of that at the minute, thinking back, you know, we've got so, so much good times. We see Ryan Reynolds and XYZ and we'll get on to all that, the takeover. But one of the things that, that's happened recently is, is the cop being complete. You know, all the barriers of the cop have gone. And you, you will have been in that period where you were able to play in front of a crowded cop what was that like? Because now people are tr- desperately season tickets rich that, you know, we weren't able to fully discuss this week, you know, talking to people saying six and a half thousand, seven thousand season tickets, maybe, you know, you're going to be looking at sellouts for, for Wrexham of three stands, but the cop will hold such a big place in a lot of people's hearts. And, and I'll admit, I'll be the first to admit, I was too young to really appreciate and get on there and really understand it. But playing in front of that race course with a cop, what was that like? trying to explain to someone like me who didn't get to experience it firsthand yeah it's with it being behind the goal as well and like uh the amount of fans that were like crammed in that space probably it's not the safest place to cram people or everyone in but um like as a player looking at when you're kicking towards that that goal and you see that swarm of like wrecks and fans cheering you on rooting for like it kind of like like you said earlier it's like that 12th man on the pitch especially like towards that end of the, the goal when you're shooting you're like, you just want to suck in towards that goal and score and like celebrate with them so it just gives you like a little bit of an edge um, yeah and like when you went I remember uh, I think it was the um, the last game against Boston when we survived I think it was a penalty I think Ryan Valentine scored a penalty if I'm not mistaken and if, in front of all these fans and I just remember like just that whole experience was just like you can't explain it. It was just magic, you know, like seeing all these fans there just celebrating, kicking towards your, your home goal. And you see all these, all these fans behind the, behind the net, just cheering you on, wanting to, rooting you on to score. It adds so much more to the game. Yeah. It's going to bring us onto that Boston game next. Of course, that was two years after the LW vans. And it is weird that, to have a low point that can also give you one of your best days because you ask most Wrexham fans about one of their happiest memories of, of certainly last football league years. It was that Boston survival party. Okay, we only delayed relegation for, for one more season, but it was the the whole atmosphere, the whole day, a sellout race course, the, the, the way the game went, the fact that we were looking like we were going to go down at one point and then, like you said, we come back from, from the dead, really, and, and do win it. What are the nerves like for you that for that, that day? I mean, <laughs> what type of pressure is it? Because obviously playing professional football, there is that pressure. But you, you've come through as a local lad, but then maybe there is more pressure on you because you know the repercussions of relegation to, to the town. And what was it like having to deal with that pressure of we have to win? Otherwise, I know people. I know that local people are going to just be devastated by this. Yeah, you're right. It's, um, it's a difficult mindset. To, to kind of manage but I, I remember 
with my mindset being like focused on the job, what we got to do, like try and eliminate all the what ifs or like if we screw this up, obviously all the consequences that happen. So I, I remember just focusing like on the game. We've got to win this game. We've got to really focus on the job at hand um, and, and beat Boston. Um, so yeah, I remember trying to eliminate as much as you can. I, I, I still remember before the game, I think I just eliminated the possibilities of losing. I was like, I don't care about that stuff. I don't even want to think about it. We're just playing the game right now. We want to win. Um, so what do we got to do to just to beat these guys? Um, so yeah, I I almost put it to, to one mind. I forgot about it, um, which helped. I think I played decent enough for that game. So I think it helped. And I, I, I'm going to say that probably the other lads playing on the pitch probably did something similar too because um, we all knew deep down how big of a game it was. We obviously wanted to win and stay in the league. And um, yeah, it was... It was one of those difficult moments where you, it's really hard to manage your mind and try and forget about some stuff and just focus on what you need to do. But I think we did a pretty good job of it and, and it came across on the pitch. You mentioned Valentine, but I was thinking of Proctor. You know, yes. when Proctor scores, that's when I kind of was watching it. And, and I wasn't actually at the race course that game, but I was just going absolutely nuts because at that point I was like, it's easy as Wrexham fans to become incredibly pessimistic. And on this pod, I seem like I'm really negative and overly pessimistic. I just call it being a Wrexham fan 101. <laughs> uh, you know, you get used to just bitter disappointment. And for me that day, it was like, actually, we're, we're actually going to win. It's not going to go. We're not going to Wrexham this scenario. If you can, if you can make Wrexham a verb, you can, we're not going to, we're not going to screw it up. And, and I felt like when that happened, and we had such, so many good players in that team as well that just were kind of unsung here, as you think. Like Chris Llewellyn was one of the players that I, I idolised when I was growing up. And before you mentioned Juan Ugarte, I've said it on here, my favourite ever Wrexham player. So, you know, the, that kind of era, Dennis Lawrence, you know, Brian Carey, all through the years of just absolute stalwart players. And, and they deserved, we had a squad that deserved to stay up, you know, no disrespect to Boston, but... We, if you could have scripted that day, like Rich said, it's such a, an odd way to do it because it's like a really bad season that to ended on such an amazing note. But the drama just it gives me goosebumps now thinking about it. I mean, can you remember just, as you said, you were trying to block out this idea that we could go wrong, but, you know, as the goals are going in, you must have sensed that palpable nervousness around the stadium turn into just like everyone was drunk on relief, as I would say. <laughs> yeah, you're right, yeah. Um, I think the, the only moment I realized we were safe was the full-time whistle. I realized, obviously, and then all the fans ran on the pitch, obviously. So at that moment, you can't help but realize the, the mass amount of pressure that's just gone. Now you can just enjoy it. Um, I, as a, on the pitch, I, I, I would, and probably the lads were probably just focused on get to the 90 minutes. Now we're winning. Don't fuck it up. <laughs> it's just like, do what we need to do to get, get those three points, essentially. And um when the ref blew the whistle and all the fans around the pitch, that was just pure emotion, as you said. Like I lost it. I think I lost my shirt, lost my shorts. People were like running on the pitch, throwing me around and throwing all the, the players around. It was just it was just an amazing experience for for us as a players to just get through that and realize that we've we've done it and we've we've managed to win and survive and just you could just feel the emotion from all the all the fans running on the pitch. It was just yeah, it was magic. It was crazy. That brings us quite nicely onto this next little section. I just want to ask you a few sort of quick fireish questions and just maybe reflect because it was such a long time, isn't it? It's, it is hard to to couple it all together and to get your whole career into just one podcast. But where, which what, what was your favourite match as a Wrexham player? Uh, yeah, I think the LDB fans final one sticks out for me, especially for me personally, not starting on the bench, like 
getting over that mental barrier of like not starting and trying to come on and try and get up to the speed of things and then coming through it and and winning the final that's something that i will always remember for me yeah that one stands out the boston one i know we just spoke about it It was obviously a massive one too having all the fans running on the pitch and celebrating with us all we had a couple of those moments where the fans ran on the pitch too i'm trying to remember the other one too but um there's so there's quite a few like winning the the welsh cup as well was 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 really cool too like seeing us being like the champions of wales um a couple times we won it so a couple of those ones were, were something that i will never forget too so yeah, there's like four or five there that I can remember that, that will yeah. always stick with me. There's probably more that I'm forgetting, but yeah. Yeah, the, the Welsh Cup wins do get sort of brushed into the carpet a bit, don't they? And I know particularly because that maybe the, the pool of teams isn't as strong as, as it is in other competitions, that if you do win it, you maybe don't get the credit you deserve, which is something that's often worked maybe against Wrexham, but it was the key to getting into Europe for, for so many of our glory years, wasn't it, as well, which, you know, you will obviously be, be well aware of as well. In terms of teammates... This is a difficult one. Who was you, your best centre back partner during the time at Wrexham? Or yeah, who did you good, prefer playing with? Yeah. Because I had um, a good relationship with Steve Evans. Um, when when he came in, um, we played together as centre backs for quite a few years, and I think we we gelled pretty well. Um, he was the the big guy who just won every header and just went all out, just smashed everyone up, and I was like kind of the guy sweeping up behind him and making sure that whenever he made a mistake, I was there to help out. Um, so I think we worked well to pretty, pretty well together. Um, apart from, yeah, so I would say Steve, Steve Evans and myself had a really good partnership. But before that, we played, like you said, we played with a back three before yeah. Steve came on with, like you said, Dennis Lawrence, um, Steve Roberts, um, even like Brian Carey, I played with as well, obviously. So that back three with those rotating in, plus myself, was worked really well too. I really enjoyed playing as a three um, I, I really enjoyed like I had quite decent pace I think back then so I was up and down and I could help defensively and, and join in on the attack too so I, I really enjoyed that personally playing with the back three and the wing backs with, um, with, um, with Carlos Edwards so yeah that was that was pretty cool and Carlos brings on maybe to the next question nicely. Who was the most individually talented player you think you you saw? Obviously, you you get to see him in training as well, don't you? Which most fans don't, and that's a large proportion of your sort of footballing time is what they do on the training ground. Who, who was the most talented? Would you say the two that come to mind? Um, the first one was Trundle um, when he came. I think he came on trial. He was at Real, I believe. He came to trial, train with us for like one day just to try him out, and he was younger he trained against me they they asked me to just train with these guys um uh, and i marked him i tried to mark him anyway in, in this trial and he just dominated me just like like backing into me rolling me banging goals and everything i was like jeez he was, he was this guy <laughs> um and then obviously when he started to design and play for Exxon for a while you start to see he's got some really good qualities he's good finisher got a good left peg got some like skills on him as well so like um he's a big guy too he's quite strong so as a striker, he had all the kind of attributes he needed. Um, so that's one that stood out for me. It was seeing Trun's play and uh, train and, and, and banging all these goals was, was great. Um, the other one is kind of like a, a smaller, shyer guy, Mark, Mark Jones. Um, I would say he, he was a quiet little scrawny guy, but he had some good little movements. He had some good skills. And he was a good finisher. Um, like on paper, he probably didn't have all the best attributes, but like he would do things. You're like, how did he do that? You know? So like he, he was someone else that I think was 
obviously had a great career at Wrexham and he had a great career after Wrexham as well. Um, but I think he he was a kind of like someone else that had something else for, for the team, you know, someone, a little, little spark that come in now every now and again. A lot quieter than Trundle, at least, anyway. A lot quieter, yeah. We couldn't shut Trundle up, yeah. <laughs> Nathan here. Just a quick word for our socials and our email. You can find us on Twitter at RobRyanRed. And you can email us RobRyanRed at gmail.com. Now, if you're enjoying this episode, do go back and listen to our catalogue where we've spoken to Jocelyn Maevi in Cameroon. We've spoken to Curtis Obeng about the 98-point season. We've spoken to... Adriano Moak about life currently at Spennymoor Town and many, many others including Jordan White and Rob Oakby. So do go back and check out. Now, back to the episode. Yeah, yeah. So those two, those two, there's there's lots of others as well. Another one for you from your own personal point of view, who was maybe your toughest opponent you played against or any striker in particular that you thought, God, he was a handful? (laughs) Yeah, there's there's been a lot. To be honest, like, I don't want to like name names, but I played against Robbie Fowler um, in a probably a friendly game. It was um, when Liverpool played against obviously Wrexham in a friendly game at one year. I don't remember when it was. And I was trying to mark him and I couldn't even see him. He was just like walking around. He was, he was so smart at like just getting in my blind spots on the pitch. So like I'd look at the ball and then he just wander by me and I'd be like, where, where the hell's he going? And I'd like try and find him and I'd lose the ball and then he'd move somewhere else. And I was like, for the whole game, I was like, I could, I didn't know where he was. <laughs> so like having that mental like game of like trying to mark someone like Robbie Fowler, who's obviously a legend and played some really good football. Um, that one that one still stood out for me personally because like that was a job I was told. I was like, right, try and try and mark this guy, and I couldn't. <laughs> so um, yeah, that was that was a pretty good experience for me to learn that and try and understand how to manage this stuff in, in the game. In yeah, terms of in terms of sort of individual matches, well, the final one, these sort of quickfire ones, any particular either win or away day that, that really sticks in your mind as that was a bloody good, it might not be one where you won a trophy at the end of it, but any victory that was really sweet in a season? I'm trying to remember an exact occasion, but I actually remember playing against like Stoke away, for example, who's obviously had a massive stadium, lots of big, passionate fans as well. I don't remember the score. I'm going to get this wrong, but I think we had a decent, decent result. We either drew or won away at Stoke, for example. Um, so there was a couple of moments like that playing against like some big teams who big stadiums, um, like Cardiff away as well. Probably played against them a couple of times, and I think we had some decent results against against them. Although I did think I scored our own goal in one of those games, but we won't talk about that one. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I can't think of an exact moment, but just a few of those moments where you play against a so-called big team with a big stadium, lots of big numbers of fans and getting a decent result away from home against those types of teams was something that, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool too. Yeah, that's what those Wrexham fans sort of long for now that we're we're in the non-league for so long. We don't get to experience those so much. Nathan, you got, got a question before, before we move on? I was going to say, just I'm always keen to know who has the worst clobber, like who has the worst dress sense. Because you, there's some footballers. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to put this out there now. You know, I've I've been around a lot of footballers. Not many of them know how to dress well, or they have too much money to dress well. Now, at our level, maybe not the case, but you still get Jocelyn Mayabi will come up on every one. I know he was later in a different period, but in your in your time, I mean, you know, no offense to to, to Brian. I remember I was a mascot once at Stockport away, 2005. Now. 
I think I've still got the autograph book somewhere. My dad and I was only very young and Edgley Park. Juan Ugarte scored a hat trick that day. And I remember coming into the changing room afterwards and, uh, you know, some of the players were, were getting ready and, and, and whatnot. Because um, pretty much they were all in their kits, so it wasn't as noticeable. Post-match, I thought, I, I was quite young, but I thought that that's not good dress sense. So, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess, who do you remember thinking that's a complete disaster? <laughs> yeah, the two that come to mind, like, you know, Juan Yagate was obviously the, the Spanish guy coming in. He had all the swagger. He had all the fancy, fancy stuff. Um, I don't remember any specific clothes he wore, but I was like, oh, what you, what's going on with it? What's going on with this guy? He was this guy coming into Wrexham from Spain somewhere, and <laughs> he's wearing all these, like, high-end stuff. Um yeah, I've been from like Rex and be like, come on, just scruff it up a little bit, get a hole in your jeans or something, make it a bit dirty. <laughs> yeah, so that one was like, who's this guy? Um, and then the other side, I think the opposite end of the spectrum was probably someone who just dressed like your like your granddad or your dad, like no frills, just wore like really dodgy, baggy shirt and pants, like no style at all. <laughs> and I think that was probably more like Steve Evans. I think he was that kind of like guy who just like whatever he could find in the in the closet that morning just throw on he didn't give a shit <laughs> so like no nonsense yeah no nonsense just gonna grab whatever i can i'm gonna make myself look just okay and like that was that was him <laughs> no sure the interesting thing and dan that we've got here is obviously the elephant in the room is, is the takeover of, of Wrexham, and you are over the pond as we call it has has there been loads of talk in the media of that i mean we always sort of clip stuff on our twitter when we see sort of news reports whatever with with links to rex and over there but what's the response been like in north america to, to the takeover yeah it's it's funny because like i work on um at fifa now at electronic arts and um yeah there's been obviously some articles released some some newspapers have been like pushing this information to people in canada um in vancouver and to be honest, I think a lot of people in Vancouver and Canada probably don't know much about Wales and, and Wrexham, obviously. So, like for them, it's like, oh, what's what is this all about? Who are who are these? Uh, who is this team? Like, what trying to ask questions? And I've had lots of people asking me actually, like, do you know anything about this team, this Wrexham? Like, where is Wales in the world? Some people have no idea where Wales is in the world in, in Canada, for example, right? So, yeah, I think just just having people question it and understand it and trying to like learn more about. Wales and Wrexham, um, for me, has been has been huge. Like people have just trying to learn more about it and and trying to get involved um, from out over here. Where a year ago they had no idea where Wrexham was in the world, where even Wales, what what is Wales? Like some people don't even know where Wales is in Canada, you know. So like um, that was been a big a big thing that I noticed over the last like, year or two, however long it's been, um, which has been great to hear. Yeah, of course, we've got the documentary which will be coming out, you know, either later this year or early next year. Welcome to Wrexham, which you, certainly in the UK will be on Disney Plus. So expect you to be watching that and, you know, who, who knows where that will go. And in terms of, you know, we were meant to be playing Philadelphia Union in pre-season. Sadly, that's not happened. We played Tamworth and Spennymore Town instead. So it was a bit of a crash down to reality for us on, on that aspect. But, you know... Like we said there, you work for Electronic, Electronic Arts now on the FIFA franchise. You're a gameplay producer. How did that come about? Yeah, it's a weird one. Um, it's, there's no simple way to put it, but I kind of was, well, like I came to play for Vancouver Whitecaps um, after I left Rex and I went to like York and a couple of other teams. And I, I managed to get out to play for Vancouver Whitecaps for, for a year. Um, and then I met, met a girl in Vancouver um, 
who at that time was actually working at Electronic Arts on a different video game. Um, long story short, we went away. I went moved to Baltimore. She came with me, and then um, then she managed. She she wanted to come back to Vancouver after a long time, get back into video games. And I was curious about video games. I'm like, I played a lot of video games. I was super nerd and big gamer. I played lots of video games, and obviously with my football background, I was like let's see how this goes. Like I'm passionate about football. I'm passionate about video games. Can I get through the door um, at EA and on FIFA? Um, and I think being like a driven focused guy from playing my football, um, I did lots of research. I came up with loads of ideas. I was very prepared and I, um, yeah, I managed to, to work really hard to get through the door and, and, and learn this new, new career path. Um, like making video games is actually really difficult to do. <laughs> it sounds pretty simple, but it's really, really complex and really, really challenging. But, um, but yeah, I've been there for now 10 years, uh, just over approximately now 10 years of working on electronic arts on, on the gameplay team. And yeah, it's, it's a really good experience. I really enjoy making, um, making FIFA and trying to bring my football kind of history into the game and make it as real and as fun as we can, you know? So yeah. Yeah. You know, it was only last week I was on Facebook and I saw the FIFA reveal and you were in it. You know, you were doing the gameplay reveal, breaking down the mechanics and, and what to expect in the new FIFA. And I, the question for Rexham fans, I can't not ask it. When will we ever get to see Rexham back in FIFA or do we have to get promoted to the Football League? <laughs> I mean, getting promoted will definitely help. So that should be number one goal for Rexham. If you can get promoted into League Two to start with, then you'll definitely be in the next iteration of FIFA. So first goal is definitely do that <laughs> um, simple as that we're yeah all, simple we, as that because we're all we all just want the career mode that's all we want we want to take it right switch ourselves and accelerate what might be happen, happening off the pitch and Nate, do you want to jump in on this but before I, you I jump was gonna on say, though, i just want to oh, oh, go for it no go for it before the for fifa 22 i can't give any of the way because we can't announce anything but if you play it you might be might have some surprises i'm just gonna leave it as that hmm well, I mean, that's you know what I, I, you know, what, I want the suspense, if anything, you know what I mean? You, I, I, I want it kind of because you see all these different accounts that say that go through the code of FIFA, which blows my mind. You know, for someone who doesn't understand HTML and they say, you know, oh, they've added this team and they've added, and one was, you know, they've added uh, XYZ and they've added Wrexham. And, and I'm not going to ask you whether that's true or not, but you know, people getting very excited and. It's been a long time in non-league and, and whatnot. All I want to do, Rich, is I want to be scrolling through that general page when they say, let's play, pick any team. And I just want the Wrexham badge to come up with the kits, the TikTok shirt, and just all that to come up. And then I want to be Paul Mullen and Jake Hyde online. online, uh, And then the, you know, then the inform kind of uh, Resol Johnson ultimate team card or something like that, you know, with it. I'm releasing packs. No, in, in all seriousness, though, FIFA... It's surprisingly for, for a lot of younger fans, it's a big thing. You know, a lot of people really want to have their team on the game and, and there's so many. And and I, I mean, you, you know how passionate the fan base is. I'm not really teaching you anything new here. You know how passionate the fan base would be. And and it, it's, I'll tell you what I'll say. It's, it's a shame that given the scope, I know the game's huge. It's just a shame that, that the fifth tier, I know you could get greedy and say, well, sixth tier, seventh tier, eighth tier, but... It is a shame that it, it that we've been off it for so long. I guess you can put it that way, you know, because kind of in your day, we 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 were in the football league and established. Now you look at it and go, look at all the teams that are in non-league, Chesterfield and and Wrexham and, and Grimsby and all these other kind of teams that that are desperate to be on it. 
Yeah, it's 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 a shame. You're right. And I, if I was in charge of these decisions, I would I would put everyone in the game. But there's obviously some <clears throat> some reasons why financially and scope. Um, like I said, it's really it's a massive team we have on FIFA, and there's so many people that work on it, and it's 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 not an easy thing to do. Um, so there's there's probably I don't know the answers, but there's some really good reasons why we don't. Um, but yeah, if I was in charge, I would definitely put. Put Wrexham there, put all the conference teams in there and just go for it. Why put not? yourself on the cover <laughs> as well. Yeah. yeah, why not? Yeah, yeah. put you two on the cover. Yeah, why not? One of the other things I've got yeah, to ask why not? Why is how soon into the new, obviously the new launch is just around the corner in, in, in terms of the cycle. How soon into the new cycle do you start planning for the next cycle? Like, when does FIFA 23 become sort of on, on a, a discussion that you openly have and say, this is what we want to do next? Obviously, I presume you've got like a long-term plan to say, there's a three-year cycle of what we want to implement in career mode or what we want to bring to ultimate team, et cetera. What, what like how, how soon after FIFA 22 is released, does some, some of the teams start focusing on the, on the next iteration? Yeah. It's uh, we, we're always thinking, like you said, long-term plans, not just year cycles. We do plan three, five years ahead at times, just from high level ideas. So we do have big visions of where we want the game to go in five years, let's say, um, we have plans in place to lead up to that. So it is, there is a lot of systems in place to, to really think for the bigger picture. And um, but it is, it is a challenge um, to, to try and think what can we do for the game to make it fun and different every year because it's football and football doesn't change that much um, in on, on when you're playing the game. So it's it's a tough part of the job, um, but it's fun you know like playing playing the game designing it figuring out what what do we do each year how do we make it authentic how do we make it like fun to play and um and also have all these like different levels attributes as well as another challenging part too how do you make the 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 messies the ronaldos stand out and feel differently than than like a one-star team i'm not going to name any names but um but yeah uh it's it's a it's a fun fun challenge but yeah I mean, Messi's currently unattached. I don't know why he should be in the game, to be honest. He doesn't play for a club. I think <laughs> I think Paul Mullin and Jake Hyde are, are fully employed strikers who are going to be scoring goals. Anyway, Messi's just on the beach in Ibiza, just uh, you know, That's soaking up point. the sun. So, right, you know, if, if, I've got, if I'm going to say, if, yeah, I mean, yeah, appreciate that. If you can just let, uh, I mean, I'll be on to Peter Moore as well. I'm sure between you and him now, there's, <laughs> there's plenty enough wrecks and links there that, that we can make it happen. <laughs> I mean, get rid of Messi. Ronaldo's on the way out. It's the, it's the Paul Mullen, or as I, as I say, Rich, I mean, he's not officially signed yet, but I, I'm, I'm already trademarking the Dean Furman Express, who's or Trialist A, the Trialist A Express. Um, and, and kind of, I know we play this weekend, but no, Sean, yeah, FIFA is, it's fascinating, you know, how we, how they, how they get it so realistic. I know I've seen mock-ups people doing of the race course and, and kind of, I know that the big thing is scanning the players now, no, and, and getting kind of as close to reality as possible. I mean, how, how much kind of at the, I know there'll be multiple departments, but how much of it is kind of split up? How much have you seen of the actual process of, right, we've got to get a game going here and we've got a million and one things to do? Yeah, like that, that's essentially my, my job now is to, as well as a, a big team of people like I work with, they're really smart and intelligent. Um, there's, a, there's a group of us that on gameplay specifically to, to make the game each year um, for gameplay specifically, but we have other teams that deal with like um, online experience and, and foot packs and all this um, career mode, for example, but I, I specialize in the gameplay element of it. Um, and so we have a team 
um, on the gameplay team, I'm going to say number that might be incorrect, approximately 80 people just working on just the gameplay team alone. Um, so each team has approximately similar numbers. So combined, the FIFA team is, is you're talking like big numbers um, working on just FIFA. And we, um, yeah, our, our, our job each year is to make it um, a new game. So when you pick it up for the first time, it feels new and fresh and fun. Um, and it's, it's not easy, but that's, that's kind of what, what we do and trying to make it um, yeah, an enjoyable experience for, for you two at least. Yeah, thank you very much. That's what we want to hear. <laughs> uh, final question for you on FIFA. What game mode do you play the most? Because I am just, I only buy it for career mode. I'm just like, I'm career mode driven. What what do you play? Do you, like, do you get to play it much in your in your free time yourself? Or are you a bit sort of burnt out from, from being around it all day? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie. It does, when you work on it all day, every day. Um, and then when the game's out there, you're like, oh, I've already played it all year. I know, <laughs> I know what's going to happen. But no, I, we have to play um, even when the game is released. You've got to keep playing it. Got to keep because we do. We patch it as well. We 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 put the game out and we we monitor all the feedback. We we, we tweak numbers and we make sure it's balanced. Because when we build it, there's just like thousand or so people playing it in the studio. But when we put it out to the world, there's yeah. millions of people playing it. So um, things are not quite tuned in correctly. So it takes time to just uh, to make the game um, balanced and fun. So yeah, we need to keep playing it. We need to keep um, keep spending time on it. So I I play lots of like like foot. Um, I play decent enough level. Try and get a decent team going. Weekend league, yeah. Weekend league, yeah. Grind away the weekend leagues and try and get some wins in that. <laughs> but yeah, I play play your career mode too, which is good. Yeah. Well, if you well if you need any more testers, you know where there's there's two here in North Wales. Sounds good. Very happy, very happy to help. But <laughs> Sean, I think that is that is probably just about it for for this week's episode of Robert Ryan Red. So thank you very much once again for for taking time to speak to us about your excellent career. No time, any time, yeah, no problem. And Nate, do you want to wrap it up because I always forget our email address and stuff. You you always forget. So I, I'll just say, as if you want to get in touch, let us know about the episodes. I, I had a very nice message this week, Rich, from a fan listening in Australia who said that me and you are driving his wife insane but apparently our voices are not as soothing as we thought and so yeah do get in touch rob ryan red at gmail.com is our email and if you want to get in touch on the socials which is currently flying tonight with a a video of ryan reynolds on the one show getting about now with his new film it's at rob ryan red and we'll put you know we'll be putting all sorts of stuff out there ahead of the new season the season opener rich you've got your season ticket i have not so i'm a little bit i feel i've got a bit of fomo but i'm sure sean will be following our results and we'll be writing to his manager to say that you know nathan of rob ryan red wants wrexham in the game i'm sure that'll do it uh, i'm sure that's all they've needed in 14 years and that'll, that'll get it done but yeah uh thanks very much for listening and we will catch you next time it's the 90th minute all your mates are around you've got your mcnugget share boxes ready to go your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget snatching all three points perfect all the delivery now on the mcdonald's app you in at participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.